we're off. Welcome back, everybody. If you if you actually bothered to come back after last week's episode and you wanted, if you're a glutton for punishment, I think is is basically what I'm saying. And you wanted more, then welcome back for episode two. And um, this week, slightly different lineup because George is in a meeting somewhere. Hopefully, he's going to be joining back in uh, or jumping in in maybe um, 20, 30 minutes, but we don't know. Sam's here, luckily. So we've got Sam. Hello, everyone. And, and we have a guest. This is our first guest. Um, and if you watch my YouTube channel, then you'll probably be very well acquainted with John because uh, John Conley ran the um, ultramarathon, my only ever ultramarathon. He came with me and, and ran and crewed that for me. And you've been in a number of videos, haven't you, John, of mine? Because I kind of, I wouldn't, I hesitate to say I bully you into it because I don't think it's bullying, but I badger you because you are a runner and for me, an inspirational person. And, um, I make you do these things because you're my friend. <laughs> uh, I always had the sort of impression that you had kind of got to the bottom of the barrel and you were like, get John. <laughs> Run out of material, let's get John. <laughs> well, probably not too far from the truth, but it's not the bottom of the barrel. It's purely if I need something, I'll go to John. Um, so let's, let's introduce John first because... Um, as, as with everybody, as with all athletes, it, it does get that, it's a little bit cringy when you start talking about your own achievements. So I would never make people do that. So instead, I text John earlier today and said, what are your achievements? Because uh, I've been with him one, when he won the Stow Valley Path 100 in, what year was that? 2018? It's about, or 2017. Thanks. You stay with him. You quite a long way behind. I was the crew. <laughs> I no way running a hundred kilometers. Um, 2017, that one. 2017, that's it. So I was with John when he won the Stow Valley Path. Um, you've won the Devil of the Highlands, which is is that's the second half of the West Highland Way. Um, you hold the course record at Glen Lyon, which is pretty sweet and gold, silver and bronze medals for the Scottish Athletics Trail Championships, second at the Highland Fling, which is the second half of the West Highland Way. And this is John's most proud achievement, that you won the ATRX 10K and you were the first person to run it under 40 minutes. That, even just saying that, I'm like, hang on, I know how fast you are and for, and for nobody to have been able to run a 10K under 10 minutes makes, uh, under 40 minutes makes it sound like it's probably a pretty brutal course. It's, I think, I think it was best, best described as undulating. <laughs> best described, the most accurate description. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool trail race that one of my friends puts on in a wee town called Croy. And they kind of they do it for all the all the right reasons. Um, very much kind of charity based, but I think it'd been running for about three or four years. And my friend James, I had a conversation with him prior to it, just saying, "Right, I'm going to come through and race it if you can give us a place." And he set the challenge of being the first person to run under forty minutes. So that was a that was a vomit inducing run. <laughs> <laughs> I bet and it what was. was your time? Did you obliterate 40 minutes? Yeah, it started with 39 minutes, so that's all it counted. That's great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, take that every day. Um, it was like the first time, the first time, time I went and ran the Highland Fling in under eight hours. So eight hours was one of these milestones where if you ran the Highland Fling in under eight hours, obviously it was like, oh, He's a pretty decent runner. runner. The, first the first time I ran under eight hours was 7.59 and 58 seconds. 
pissed to perfection by two seconds love it we were talking last week about sam actually so sam um was trying to qualify for the london marathon uh, as in a championship place and he, he had three cracks at running a half marathon time in under 75 minutes and this last attempt he did 75 00 and they still didn't let him in because you had to do 74 59 which is uh, pretty grim so i'm yeah I missed out think, by one second yeah <laughs> but i think that's the thing see when you kind of get into competitive running like seconds do count at the sharp end yeah that's true it is that's, it's hard to take but uh but you qualified for next year anyway didn't you sam yeah i've got a place now i eventually did it so yeah that's it yeah that's, well always not lost that actually that's probably the perfect segue into what i wanted to talk about with john and and you is is at, i've known john for a long long time so basically our wives are best mates and now john and i are um we had a bromance from the moment that we kind of met and um i probably started triathlon around we were it was around the same time that you started running seriously wasn't it yeah and yeah well, yeah and we had and we'll get into that in a minute we had we had this ultra bonding run that no one can ever take away from us where we both both almost both passed out and um and it was the start of our journey and what i wanted to talk about and the same with sam really is not just how you get a start because that's what we touched on last week was how you get a start in running our kind of starting stories which i want to ask you but it was more about work ethic and i think we're probably all testament to um work ethic trumping any innate talent there's a little bit there i mean there's not there's not with me there is with sam and john but you know john in particular work ethic wise where i've seen you go from and to is is unbelievable so i mean we went for a run in 2013 didn't we and we did a 10k and both of us struggled and i think you vomited i think you had a bad night before and then you vomed as well because we were pushing quite hard and we're talking about a 10k that's right yep and then you've gone from that to running 100 kilometers and what was the race that you you raced was it earlier this year or was it at the, at the last year at the in mallorca uh, at Gran Canaria, that was uh, Trans Gran Canaria. That was the 128k, I think it was. And how much climbing? How much elevation? Oh, about 25,000 foot or something like that. And, how long, did, and yeah, how long did it take you? Uh, 18 hours something. <laughs> So we're talking about someone that has come from a 10 kilometer run, me and him both, you know, both pushing ourselves quite hard, but you know, that felt long at that point. And then to the point, you know, flash forward eight or so years and suddenly John's running 128 kilometers, Trans Gran Canaria, 18 hours of running and doing really well as well. You, I mean, you were right up there, weren't you? In terms of in your age group and stuff like that. Or overall, uh, in fact. Uh, I think it was like, Top 50 finish, and for me, that was kind of always the sort of goal. Um, and to be fair, it didn't seem like it was on in the early parts of the race, or the really kind of low point, what have you, and then uh, a wee bit of a kind of comeback story and, and managed to kind of pull it together and finished really strong on the last half of the race. But I uh, top 50 finish in a ultra tour world race is pretty decent for me. Quite happy with that. I think it's pretty decent for anyone. <laughs> Hundred percent. I mean, I was um, I was on the tracking app. I, mean, I literally, I pro I 
felt like I raced it with John and I was watching and there was points when he had a really good start and then you did, you had, like you said, you had that rocky patch and I was like, oh no, no, what's going And you were going backwards, backwards. And then I can't remember how many people you overtook in that last third of the race, but it was a lot, wasn't it? You had, you, you steamed through. Uh, I think I made up something like six positions in the last 30 minutes or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, just, but it was but great, it was great <laughs> for me. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, well, I mean, you did it the right way round other than blow, you know, rather than blowing up towards the end. You, you had your wobble in the middle and um, and then managed to pull it back in top 50 in, in you know, one of the top races. Amazing. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blown away by that. Um, but just for the people that are listening, if there are any other than my mum, um, I just thought we would ask you, uh, Sam, I'm sure, I don't know if Sam's got some questions and, and by all means just jump in, Sam, but I thought it would be a benefit for people to kind of hear how John started because it, it, it's not been a lot, you've not been doing this all your life. That's right. That's quite an important message, I think, for me, is you started prop taking it seriously in your 30s and from where you've started and where you've got to is, is nothing short of, for me, phenomenal. It's unbelievable. Uh, but it's believable because it's happened. But how did you uh, start? Like, what what kind of happened? Um, I would love to say it was like one of these kind of traditional get into running stories where you've done a ten k, a half k, and then watch your way up to a marathon. Away back a few years ago, you'll remember me and uh, Kaz ran a half marathon in Bath, and that was like the first competitive run or like official run that I had ever done and then on the back of that I kind of enjoyed the running aspect of it and kind of dropped in and out of it a bit and then fell away from it altogether again and then when I moved back so I, at that point in time I stayed in, in another part of Glasgow just outside Glasgow in Motherwell and then when Sam we, when we get pregnant with Max eh, we moved back to Dumbarton to be closer to family and then when we moved back to Dumbarton, me and my brother were seeing a lot more of each other, so we decided that we would go for the occasional run here and there, and then we done we done a Tough Mudder, and then I think I'd done one of the Glasgow half marathons with, with my brother as well. He had just come back for seeing like a week later, so he was on a submarine, came back for see a week, and then went and ran a half marathon. So I that was quite a torturous experience for him, and he. At that point in time, like we were running a half marathon and we were absolutely destroyed after it. And then we had this chance meeting with this guy called David Gow up in the hills, locally to us, and Graham Newham from the MMA gym that he trained in. And it turned out, we got talking to him and he was like, oh, I'm an ultra-distance runner, da-da-da-da-da. And it was like about 10 minutes later, he turned around and says, you guys should give it a go. And then that's how we get into it. <laughs> Unbelievable. The chance meeting of someone up on a hill who was an ultra runner after you'd run the half mat. It's have you read um is it yeah, have you read Bounce? Like in terms of the the yeah. all of the, the chance things that could happen. And when you look at your situation, you live in Glasgow with hills on your back door, just literally out the back of your house you can run up a hill and, and high. You have a brother who is as much of a Fruit Loop as you when it comes to like <laughs> running and training. So Sam Graham ran. Did he do a marathon on the submarine? 
Uh, an ultra. He did an ultra on a submarine. So he ran up and down. 30 metre length or something like that, or 20 metre length, and just ran backwards and forwards. It's wow. pretty crazy. Four or five hours or something. Mental. Yeah. So insanity runs in the family. That's one thing. So you've got John and Graham, brothers that are going to put, that are competitive, that are going to push themselves. You meet Davy Gow in the hills that are just out the back of your house, and then suddenly you're in. It all falls into place, yeah. Yeah. So I think we met, we met Davy in the May. Graham ran his first ultra in the first week in August, and I ran my first ultra the last weekend in October. And then two months after that, because we became friends with Davy, and Davy's a really good runner, and at that point in time, he was up there at the front end and all the races that he's done. So we started doing quite a lot of training and longer runs with Davy. So we were really fortunate with the people that we fell in with because they guys were quite competitive. They were excellent runners and they had been doing it for a number of years. So it was like me and Graham fell into this situation where we were surrounded by all this experience and me and Graham, the way we were, were just like sponges. We were like, oh, give us more. So that was, it was like a baptism of fire. But and what was your experience at your very first race, like your very first ultra? Did you go in and nail it or was it? Uh, I think I finished ninth. I, was, I think I was in the top 10. And I think that was the thing that made me realise I could actually be all right at this. Yeah, just that little taster, just that, you know, you're in the top 10 and you're like, mm, if I can do top 10 in my first, I wonder what would happen if I started to really go hard. It was really interesting, but because at the first race, when we walked into the race registration, there was this guy just sat in the middle of the changing, uh, the middle of the hall and like this Buddha Zen-like pose. And me and Graham being the way we are, council up, bringing and what have you, we kind of walked in and we're like, is he doing? <laughs> like, we, we were thinking to ourselves, are they all like this? What the <laughs> f Aye, it was it was quite it was quite interesting. Uh, and then you and, and then you sorry, go on Sam, you go. I was gonna say i I heard you were involved in the Barkley Marathons as well, some in some aspect. No, that His was brother. my brother. My brother went over and was with Paul in 2018, uh, no, 2019, that was last year, and then this year it was cancelled. Yeah, that actually we should get Graham on as well and speak about that, because he went over to crew for Paul, didn't he? Um, at the I don't bar. think you'd want to do that. You wouldn't want to? No, I don't think you would want to do that. Honestly, he's a bore of <laughs> when it comes to Bartley. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> Would it be too much? A man that's obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, just... tell you, he'll tell you all his stories about when he was having a chat with Laz and all that sort of stuff. And you're just well, like, I could, oh. I could clang that. Can you could clang it, yeah. I can the clang, clang. The, clang the chat with Laz. That's for sure. Yeah. But, but actually... Leading on from that, you 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 fell in with not just Davy, did you? And and um, James was it James as well? No, what's uh, what's your mate's name? Yeah, yeah, it's James. Yeah, James. But then also you started getting coached by um, who's now one of your closest mates, Paul Giblin, who's a who's a professional ultra runner. 
Yeah, and that all came about with David. That was actually David that brought us all together. So Paul started his coaching business in December after I ran Jedburgh, and David had previously been coached by somebody else. Paul had approached him, asked him if he was interested in coming with him, which he said that he was. And then David effectively recruited me and James to go with Paul. So... In the space of like four months, I had went for trying to finish my first ultra. I'd been signed up with a coach. Yeah, right. And not just any coach. Uh, well, I mean, at that point in time, Paul, I think Paul was quite confident in uh, his methods and what have you, but he hadn't got the chance to practice it on other people. And I think uh, over the next kind of 12 to 18 months, um, you were his guinea pigs. It was well and truly justified. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he was he was absolutely vindicated in his approach to doing it. And you've been and you've actually um, been crewed for him, didn't you? You went to the the Western States One Hundred and crewed for Paul at, at uh, a couple of points. The first place that I crewed for Paul was uh, the West Highland Way. The last time we raced that, and at that point in time, that was like the fir- third year in a row that he had set a course record at it. And then the year after that, he was fortunate enough to get into West, the Western States. And then I think I went out there three years with him to Western States and crewed for him at Western States, which was amazing. Just he, amazing being out there and being able to run on the course. He was right up there, wasn't he? There was a couple of years when he was right up there. I remember he, he did really well. Uh, there was, I think there was like three years where he was a top 10 finish. So the first year, I think he was fifth. The second year went back, I think it was eighth, and then I think it was tenth the year after that, and then I think the fourth year was a uh, was possibly when he finished just outside the top ten, but I think that year he ran his second fastest time, and it just so happened that the top ten that year were just ridiculously fast. Unbelievable, and and if people are listening and they're like, "What the hell is the the Western States one hundred? It is it's pretty much the, it's the Super Bowl of ultra running, isn't it? You know, it's it's pretty, it's the elite, it's the UTMB type equivalent. It's 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 right there. It is the yeah. the, the creme de la creme. Yeah, I think it's like one of the. I think it is the oldest one hundred mile ultra race in America. It used to be a race for horses, <laughs> and the human just thought, "Do you know what?" I fancy that. Is it Gordy? Gordy Reid, I think's his name. He decided one year that he would race the horses, and that's how it came about. <laughs> I love how I love all these stories. How these like ultra marathons start. It's like that guy in Australia. You know the guy that that was it Sydney to Melbourne. Have you ever heard of that? There's a race Sydney to Melbourne, an ultra, and um, he he was like fifty when he did it, and he went out wearing gum boots. He was a farmer. And he won it by like a day because no one else had considered that you could not sleep. People ran until like 11 o'clock at night and then just had a kip. And he was like, I'm a farmer. So he just ran and he just carried on running and he won it by a long, long way. Nice. I love those old stories of how ultras started. Have you, have you ever seen the documentary about the Sri Chinmoy ultra around the block in New York? Uh, no, I've not watched the, the documentary. Um, I, I think you know of the race? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know the race. Yeah. I think they've done it somewhere else this year because of the whole COVID thing. But yeah, I mean, I think that's just 
I lost attention. Oh, I, my attention span's pretty short, so tuning into something for 30 days, I think it is. Nah, it's not for me. Tough. You say your attention span's quite short, but then you're running 18-hour races. How do you keep switched on for that length of time? It's a constant battle. Honestly, the <laughs> goes through my head. <laughs> it's <dark>. unbelievable. <laughs> bet that's probably one of the biggest parts of ultra running is just battling your own brain battling your thoughts and just getting stuck uh, in and absolutely yep it's just a constant battle there's like it's it's easy to say put your legs in gear and your brain in neutral but you come through some really really tough especially running through the night see when your like the circadian rhythm and stuff like that gets affected or has an impact on that I get really bad, and that is, this is what happened to me in the last race. I get really bad, like, just want to go to sleep from the hours of about 3 o'clock to 7 o'clock. But usually as soon as the, t- the sun comes up, I wake up right away and I'm, like, really ready to go. But just running through the night is... It's horrible. I've heard some weird tips to kind of keep you awake and keep you focused through the night. Like, one of them I've heard is brushing your teeth. Kind of gives you another boost and, like, gets you focused. Uh obviously things like caffeine you don't really want to take because it will just affect you later on in the race won't it so what are your things for just keeping plodding through the night yeah i think maybe the brushing teeth things one of the things where your your body goes all right we do this in the morning when we get up so it almost kind of tricks it that might be the reason behind yeah. that but i mean at that point in time in the race i'll drink all the coffee and take all the caffeine i can get <laughs> just to get through that three or four hours and then <laughs> deal with what has to happen because like see see when you're running for that amount of time you're obviously going to have highs and lows but see when you're having a proper crash then you just need to take what you need to take to get you through it and if that means you're taking a couple of hundred milligrams of coffee then so be it i can't even you know i can't even fathom running for that long like you know even even an iron man when i aim to do it i'm hoping to do kind of high nines low 10 hours and you and you're talking about running for 18 hours which is yeah i can't i can't work it out in my head i can't i ran for five hours in that ultramarathon i thought i was going to die we're talking about like times in that by about four and much more elevation I think a lot of it just comes down to the conditioning aspect of it as well, but and then it's also a lot to do with the sort of people that you surround yourself with. So my perception of what's normal is going to be far different to normal people's. <laughs> all my friends are... Not cases too. Um, yeah, yeah well, I mean, it's weird. That, see if you were to have conversations with any of my mates and you were go- you said to them what sort of percentage of the world do you think runs they would be sitting going 100% of the world runs because that's all they're surrounded by is people that yeah. run that's and, and that's 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 just the way that's the way that we think think so when you then see them do well and it's like I don't think people are trying to do any sort of they basically want to push themselves further and further and it's a specific type of person that does this and they're all very like minded but you see people going out and doing things like the Tour de Jeans and they're out for three and four days. You see, I've got other friends that do 24-hour track marathons, or no track marathons, just 24 hours of running around a track, which is completely insane. And then you've got people like Paul who went to go and do badly. Yeah, and that is, I mean, yeah. That's an, that's another story for another day because that in itself is insane. But yeah. 
Um, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I can't fathom it, but I'd like to in the future. I've always, I said to, I've always said to John, my aim eventually is to be an ultra runner. Um, once I've managed to get the Ironman out of the way. So Johnny, you've boy, done an ultra marathon. You've ticked that box. You can move on now, can't you? Surely? Yeah, it's Sam's turn next. He's he's going yeah. marathon, and it, it was going to be your first marathon, wasn't it? And uh, but you've... it was supposed to be this weekend coming. Yeah, it's supposed to be London soon. But... Soon, I know it. So what? So John, what are your 2021 goals? Have you got anything? Are you even thinking about races next year at the moment because of the way that the world is, or or are you just training? You know, carrying on ticking over. Hey. I'm trying not to think about next year because I don't want to get my hopes up. I've got a place for Lakeland 100, which carried over for this year. So I know I've got that, um, I think it's like the third week in July or the last week in July. Um, That's the one I I came and watched you do. Well, you you didn't actually do it because you were injured in the end, but we came up to the Lake District, didn't we? I, that was the one by the time you got there, a DNF. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was lovely, though, because I got to spend more time with you. Yeah, that was. I think that was the only upside of that whole weekend. I mean, yeah. I, I should never have started that race. I think that was that was quite um, evident. Um, but it was a good experience. Lesson learned. And uh, the upside was we got to spend an extra day with you. This is it, yeah. And... Um... I would say the the lesson that I take from this, from talking to you, from knowing you and watching your journey is is I genuinely believe, and it's not to do you or any of us down, it's we're normal people that have like grasped something and just, if you'll pardon the pun, run with it. Like you really have been, you've embodied that attitude. You found something that you, you love and you've gone for it and you, you train unbelievably hard. I think so. One of the things for me that took me a couple of years to come to the realization of is that initially when I get into ultra running, it was all very kind of extrinsically motivated. So it was about getting better, it was about beating people, it was about getting onto podiums, it was about winning races, it was all of these sort of things that kind of motivated me to do better and to, and to train. And then after a while, you kind of I don't know if I lost interest, but I had to find other ways to motivate myself. And then that's when you need to start looking at intrinsic aspects. Yeah. So the likes of my love for the outdoors and getting into the mountains and everything else, that was one of the biggest drivers that kept me consistently training. And then one of the things that drove me to train hard during the week was so that I could spend longer hours in the mountains and cover further distances and get higher elevation and, and just that sense of adventure. So it ended up that it was my sense of adventure that fed into my consistency of training. And that's the thing that drives me on all the time is that I've said it to a couple of athletes that we coach is that during the week, that's almost like you're going to work where you put in all the hard work and then your long run at the weekend is like your Friday night or what your Saturday night would be. That's when you can go for four or five hours and really enjoy yourself running an environment that you want to be in and that's for me that's kind of where that's the kind of journey that I've been on and how I've managed to stay consistent and yep. get a bit of longevity in it because I don't ever want to stop running now I still want to have that ability to go into the outdoors and appreciate it you've you've connected to your why haven't you that's for a lot of people they don't find their why they do it for like you exactly like you say they do it for external reasons or even um, what's the word, aesthetic reasons, losing weight, which is not a bad reason to exercise in itself, but that has to be a byproduct rather than the reason. So I, it's, think it's, it's, or, I think one of the odd kind of negative things about social media is that a lot of people do it for social media bragging. 
so that they can put their Instagram pictures up or they can... And listen, if that's what motivates them at that point in time to do it, then fair play to them, that's great. But there'll come a point in time where you're going to need more than that because social media isn't a motivator to, to have consistency or longevity in any sport. No, you're a pain in the ass to find on social media, in fact. I always think like, oh, what's John up to? You can't, he's, oh, you can't find him on Strava or anything like that. So he's, uh, he's not, yeah, he's not doing it for that reason. And that's like, that's lovely. But I'm like, I want to know what John's up to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Strava can be quite a distraction to people, especially when we initially, from a coaching perspective, when you bring people in and you give them training plans and everything like that, and they're constantly on Strava and say they've got other friends on there as well, and they're constantly comparing against what their friends are doing and thinking to themselves, oh, I'm not getting any faster, or they're running further than me, and it's like trying to almost like educate people that the only thing that you should be concerning yourself with is yourself. doesn't matter what anybody else is doing, they're never going to make you run faster. You just focus on what you need to do, and if you do that, you will get better. That's a brilliant way to describe it. A, do you know what? That's probably a brilliant way to sum up this podcast and your journey and the where you've been. And I think that's really, I think that's really valuable because the the moment people start looking inside and going intrinsic, then it's something that you can almost never unentwine yourself from. Like I'm so locked in. I think Sam is as well. I'm pretty sure George is, and I know you are. We're just locked into exercise, not because we showed any inclination for it always it's because we've found our reason and it's all in here none of us are tied into the winds or the social medias or anything like that no totally agree with you and then the next time you get us on i can tell you about the time that i had to take on ben nevis in front of like 20 people i know the story but i want it next time you're on because this bloody hang on can i upgrade let me just check if i can well my story last week involved so it's your turn yeah. now. <laughs> it really did. Um, oh, I can't. I can't. We're gonna. We're about to cut off. So can I? Uh, just in case we do, John, I gotta say, I love you, man, and thank you for coming Thanks on. Ben, it's been. You know, I'll do anything to spend time with you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for being the victim yet again, basically. Yeah. And George didn't make it, but thanks, Sam. Thanks for being here. Thanks for talking to us. Yeah, 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 it's been. It's, thanks very much for having us on. It's been a ride. Yeah, it's worth saying thanks to John, and and if you've got any comments or if you've got any questions you want to ask John, that it can, it can go through me. That's no problem. Then just give me a shout as long as you're not asking him to share his training because he will not do that. But if you've got any genuine questions about getting a start or finding out more about Team Pylon and and his training, because John and Paul train people. I know they're full at the moment, but you know they're always able to help people or at least point you in the right direction if you're if you're thinking about ultra running which is a big shout but if something if that is something you're keen on then then give me a shout and um and i'll pass on your your stuff to john and they've both gone so that's it from us i guess and hopefully that was uh, valuable and enjoyable and if you want to know more then check out this messy happy at uh, on youtube or instagram and you've got sam Begg on instagram and of course george Steele and john Connolly. you probably won't find but that's all from us and i'll see you next week <laughs>